Galatians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 15 through 29 tonight. 15 through 29. And we'll begin reading in verse 15. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been any law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we're going to look at all of this together tonight. This is the Apostle Paul concluding, if you will, this particular thought seed that he's at. We're continuing, uh, if you and you heard several references there between uh, the promise and the law. And so we're continuing this discussion concerning the law and its relationship to the born again. Last week, we presented this picture of the law uh, and mostly a negative connotation. We used words like curse and condemnation. We stated at one point a cause not worth pursuing. At another point, a cost not possible to pay. We used a very negative connotation speaking of the law. We use those thoughts not particularly of the law, but in relation to the pursuit of righteousness as it relates to the law. So the law is not going to bring righteousness. And it's closer to a curse than it is to bringing righteousness. And it is 
more of a condemnation than it is a justification. And it is a cost that we don't have the ability to pay. And so that's how we presented it last week. And then we finally last week spoke about the law being fulfilled and then becoming a blessing uh, because of Christ. So as we move forward in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is still speaking of the, the juxtaposition maybe between the covenant that was given to Abraham and the law that was given through Moses. He's still comparing those. And remember, the, the seed, the, the, the thesis, the, the main thought of the book of Galatians is the idea that salvation is by faith through grace and it is of the Spirit. It is not of works. And so Paul is speaking directly to the idea that the law can uh, in some way benefit someone, that it can, uh, through uh, keeping the law, they can earn some form of righteousness and that they would need to do that plus these other things. And so that's the, the, the perspective from which we're coming. The very first thing that we notice in verse 15 uh, when he says, brethren, I speak after the manner of men, uh, is that Paul is giving us an analogy or an example uh, concerning the idea of a covenant. And so he's shifting away just for a moment from the Abrahamic covenant. He's shifting away from a covenant that God would tender. And he's saying, look, I want to talk to you just about a covenant that between men. It's just an example the Apostle Paul is using. And basically what he's doing is he is exemplifying the permanence of a covenant. And he says, as I think about men and a covenant between men, even though it's just a man's covenant, if it is confirmed, no other man can disannul it or add anything to it. That's what he says in verse 15. And so here he's, he's introducing the, or we are introduced to the legality and the permanence of a covenant. And so uh, you and I probably are not overtly familiar with covenant language. Uh, that may be something that, that you and your banker talks about, uh, but my banker and I have never had a covenant together. Uh, but I have had a lot of contracts, and they're very similar. Uh, when we think about covenant, we, we understand that it is a legally binding agreement between individuals or entities. If we were to give a look at a proper definition, this would be a definition out of, say, like uh, Merriam-Webster, uh, a pact, a treaty, an alliance, or an agreement between two parties of equal or unequal authority. If we were to look more towards uh, just, just a, a, a more of a generic definition, something usually a formal, solemn, and binding agreement, or a written agreement or promise usually under seal between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. So in a modern sense, what we're talking about is a contract. And, and we're talking about a contract that is legally binding, and it cannot be amended, and it cannot be annulled without both parties agreeing to the amendment or the annulment or the addition, and it, and it cannot be amended or annulled, the Apostle Paul is going to go on to say, by a later dated contract. 
And so from that example, in a modern sense or in a mundane example, let me give this. If we, if we were to, uh, you came to my house. I had my house for sale and you came to my house and we signed a contract for $1. You're buying my house for $1. And then you leave and Carla says, I don't even like that person. Why did you sell that house to that person? I don't like them. And you could have gotten more for it. You should have charged more for the house. And I say, well, who do you want to sell it to? And she calls another person in and they come in and they say, we'll give you $3 for it. I can't sign a contract with them annulling the previous contract because the previous contract stands. That is the example that the Apostle Paul is going to use comparing the Abrahamic covenant with the Mosaic covenant or the law. And he's in the, the, the nation of Israel would have assumed that the latter contract overwritten was overwritten for the first. And that's, that's an improper assumption. So the, the point that Paul is pressing in verse 15 is that as far as men who are of a lesser plane and a lesser character than God are concerned, a covenant is legal and binding in its original form. So if that's true, then how much more so for God who is righteous and immutable? That's his reason for bringing that up. Then he speaks in relation to the Abrahamic covenant concerning the precision of that covenant. Look at verse uh, 16. Now to Abraham, so we're, we're finished with the example we're back to the covenant at hand, back to the, the discussion at hand. Now to Abraham and his seed were, prom- were the promises made. He said not into seeds as of many, but as of one into thy seed, which is Christ. So here uh, the apostle is talking about the precision of that first covenant. Or the earlier, I should say, covenant. It's not the first, but the earlier covenant. And and having verified the permanence, okay, we understand that once a covenant is given, it is it is permanent until it is satisfied, until both parties are satisfied with the fulfillment of it, or both parties agree to annul it and disassemble it. It's permanent, and so we've 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 established that. And now he's talking about. Uh, this particular covenant, in so doing, he says, it was made with Abraham, and it's very important that you hear that verbiage there, and with his seed, as in one, as in singular, a person, a particular heir. And that particular heir is Christ. So listen to these reference verses, and, and uh, I think you'll, you'll catch it. In Romans 4.13, again, the Apostle Paul speaking about this agreement with Abram, Abraham for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And so in, in that particular verse, we have both the example of the promise, which is by faith, and the, the, the precision of to that one seed, to that 
individual. Romans 4.16 says something similar. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The Lord Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 1, uh, or, or excuse me, Luke speaking, Luke chapter 1, uh, sp- makes this comment as he spake to our fathers, to Abram and to his seed forever, singular. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, where you can read the covenant, Genesis chapter 12, you read again in Genesis 15, you can read again in Genesis 17, you read again in uh, around Genesis 46 or so uh, to Jacob. But if you go back and look, even in Genesis 12, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land, seed. And so this is the point that Paul is making. Again, we see it in Acts 3.25, saying unto Abram, and in thy seed shall all kindreds of the earth be blessed. So Paul is making it clear that the covenant was made, listen to this, the covenant was made with Abraham and with his seed, singular, that is Christ, meaning by implication that the covenant was not made with Israel as the natural seed and or descendants of Abraham. He's making that clarification. It is is with the spiritual seed of Abraham in Christ, but not with the nation of Israel proper. That is exactly what they were claiming. They claim it all the way through. Read the exchange in John chapter 8. You can see a very clear example of it there where they'll tell him, we are Abraham's seed. And he says, no, you're not. If you were, you would know me. You would know what I'm doing. You're, you're of your father, Satan. So Paul is saying here, these Judaizers that come in and push the law on you as a form of salvation or as a form of a work towards salvation, they're not even a part of the promise because they're part of national Israel rather than spiritual Israel. And so he's talking about the precision. And so that covenant is, is permanent. It is precise. It is, like all other covenants, covenants, legally binding and permanent. And then in verse 17 and 18, he begins to speak directly to the preeminence of that particular covenant over the law. And look what he says in verse 17, And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, and that it should, uh, and that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So what he's doing, he's comparing... He's saying, here you have the Abrahamic covenant. And what is the simplicity of the Abrahamic covenant is that through the promised seed, all nations would be blessed. That's the simplicity of it. So through Christ, all nations would be blessed. And Christ is the seed of Abraham. He, you trace him back. He goes all the way back to Abraham. So that's, that's the, the simplicity of it. What is the Mosaic covenant? It is the law. It is, uh, thou shalt not 
And if you are obedient to all of these things, I'll live up to my end if you live up to your end. That's what the Mosaic Covenant is. Uh, so what he says here is, okay, we have this Abrahamic Covenant, and then we have the law, the Mosaic Covenant. The, the nation of Israel believed that the Mosaic Covenant uh, had superseded and or updated the Abrahamic Covenant so that nationally they were still the seed, but, but from, a, from a religious perspective, they had to keep the law. And the law was ingrained in them. And so he's saying, no, that look, the one is preeminent to the other. The Abrahamic covenant came first. He says three things here very quickly. It was confirmed of God in Christ. It came first and it was non-conditional. That's basically what Paul says here in, this, in these verses that we just read. It is preeminent to the law for at least these three reasons. If you take time to consider the Abrahamic covenant, you'll see that this agreement was between God and God. This is very important. I know this may be deep. Look at or listen to Hebrews chapter 6. And you can read this first person in Genesis chapter 15. But Hebrews chapter 6, for when God made promise to Abraham, when God made the covenant with Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And so the, the Abrahamic covenant was not God sitting down with Abraham saying, look, Abraham, if you do A, B, and C, I'm going to provide X, Y, and Z. No. Uh, God said, I don't want you to be responsible for any of it because you're incapable. And so it basically was God making a covenant with Christ to take care of those who believed. And Abraham believed and it was imputed unto him righteousness. It's, it's right simple. We make it very difficult. But it's right simple. And, and he would say in that, in that same Hebrews passage that by two immutable things in the which it was impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay a hold upon the hope that is set before us. In the next verse, he talks about the anchor of hope. We're connected to him. And it depends on nobody but him. My connection to God does not depend upon me. It is dependent upon Him. And so I don't have to worry about uh, losing my salvation or, or falling from grace or whatever terminology you want to use because He's holding me. I'm not holding on to Him. He's holding on to me. If you were walking a, a toddler, we have the, the little three-year-old uh, wrecking ball, Emma. Uh, let me tell you something. When you walk her across the parking lot, you better hold on to her. Because if you let her hold on to you, uh, directly she's going to let go and be gone. Uh, she has no concept of cars or fear or danger or any of that. So when we go out, what do we say? Come here. Come here. Let me get a hold of you. Because I'm not going to let her go. Car could run over 
It'd have to run over me to get me to let her go. It just is not going to happen. Well, God's got a hold of me. It is because he could swear by no greater. And so Paul says here, look, this covenant that I'm talking about, this Abrahamic covenant, this one that's based on belief, that's based in faith, this thing was confirmed by God in Christ. It is Him and Him. And there is no separating us from that. We also know that as we, we look at our biblical history, again, if you look at Genesis 12, you can read the, the initial Abrahamic covenant. You go to Genesis 15, you can read the reiteration of it where he walks between the, the carcass and the, the lamp and that's the actual covenant made. You go to Genesis 17 and you'll see it again. And then we go through all of Isaac's life. We go uh, into Esau and Jacob's life. We're all the way into Genesis 46. Jacob is old. His name has been changed to Israel. He's going down into Egypt because God said, it's all right, go. I sent Joseph down there to take care of you. And as he goes, he says, hey, Jacob, wait just a minute. Let me remind you of something. And he reminds him of that covenant. Jacob goes in. And they're there for 430 years. They come out under the mighty hand of God. And then at Mount Sinai, they're given the law. Paul says right here, that covenant that was confirmed in God or by God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after cannot disannul. Because God agreed with God on this one. <laughs> He's not going to disannul it. It's, it's, it's permanent. And so we have, we have it's confirmed. We have that it, it came first. We have this idea that it is, it is non-conditional. Uh, Paul says in verse 20, and we'll see that in a moment, but he talks about that mediator. And, and a mediator, uh, it, it, it implies that there's at least two people in the deal because somebody had to go between them. But God is one. There was no mediator in the first deal. God was the deal. And so we, we see that it can't be annulled by the former. We see that the, the Abrahamic covenant is purely dependent upon God and upon God's grace. It is not relative to men's actions. It is unconditional. The Mosaic covenant, the law which they were depending on to the antithetical part is dependent upon the obedience of men. If you're not obedient, you're out. And I, I don't want that responsibility. I'll, I'll take uh, the unconditional love of God over that conditional obedience of men. Uh, the, the law is by work. The Abrahamic covenant is a promise. It is a gift. And so if you, if you, if you want to buy the law, then you just gave up the promise. So we, we see this picture of the preeminence of that First covenant, that Abrahamic covenant. Look at verse 19 through 20. He talks about the, the, the prescribing of the law. So, so then what is the purpose? Wherefore then serveth the law? So why did the law come is what he's saying. We, we could, what is the purpose of the law? What's... Why was the addition of the law made then? If, if everything was dependent upon God, why then did he bring the law in? Well, uh, he says very clearly, Paul does, it's added because of transgressions. 
And, and so uh, we have this, this, this very sinful uh, existence that we're all dealing with, that we're all contending with, and they were contending with it. And, and, and so they bring in, they add the law to, to help cover those transgressions to God and direct so they would know what is and what is not a transgression that and and he would he would do that in the order to uh, to bring in the mediator when the time comes Christ the one that could redeem and so the the picture is adding the law it's not to supersede it was added because of sin because of transgressions transgressions until the seed could come and provide redemption and then he goes directly into uh, the, the true purpose of the law in verse 21 is the law then against the promises of God. He says, God forbid. No, that's absolutely backwards. No, it's not against the promises of God. If there, if there had been no law, if there had been a law given which could, could have given life, then righteousness would be by the law. But there was no law given that would give life. And he goes on to say the scriptures concluded that everyone is under sin. But with the promise of faith in Jesus Christ, then we might be given, given that righteousness. And so we're under the law so that we are continually reminded of the fact that we can't keep the law. They would say to, uh, to the Lord in the early part of Exodus around 17 or 18, just tell us what to do and we'll do it, assuming that they could do it. God knowing better that they could not do it. But he said, okay, then I'll tell you what to do. Very similar later on in the book of Samuel, they, they asked for a king. Just give us a king. Give us somebody to go before us. Well, it's not going to help because he's going to be as wicked as all the other kings. But okay, we'll do that. It's the same similar picture there. Uh, just give us a law so we'll know. And then God gives them the law. And then they're continually failing the law. They can't fulfill the law. They're continually uh, offering sacrifice, trying to get back under the law to get covered again. It is a continual thing. And the idea was that when, when Christ, the fulfiller of the law, and the promise of faith would come, they would be ready to jump into His giving arms. Because anything... I can't live up to it, so you fulfilled it, and you've suffered in my place, and I can just accept that by faith, and, and I'm out from under the burden, the penalty of law? That sounds like a wonderful opportunity. And that was the picture. The idea was to, to bring it. The law's not contrary to the promises of God. It is rather intended to escort us into the promises of God. The law defines for us righteousness. It does so as in the righteousness of God. It challenges us to live in obedience to it. And we're continually failing that. We cannot keep uh, and we're continually convicted of our inability and to, to do so and reminded of our witnesses, witness, wickedness. And then Christ comes and says, just come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Just take my yoke upon you. And we, we, we should be more than, more than willing. We should be thrilled. The, the law carries us to Christ. It, it, it takes us to Christ. And so we see that the law is our teacher or 
our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And, and that's what he says in verse 25. He begins talking about life after the law, the postlude, the final curtain of the law. And after that faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. And we start thinking about that, that schoolmaster. And I just printed this just a moment ago. I thought about it all afternoon and I thought, I'm going to print that and just read it. But, but that, that word there is uh, pedagogue. Uh, and listen to, to what that is. A pedagogue is a guide or a guardian for boys among the Greeks and Romans. It was a trustworthy slave who was charged with the duty of supervising the life and morals of the boys of the better class. This is it. The name carries with it the idea of severity as of a stern censor and enforcer of morals, where the father is distinguished from the tutor as one whose discipline is usually milder. And the law would bring that stern discipline that we're incapable of managing. We were in Haiti the first time and uh, they'd take that little old church that'd be about half the size of this sanctuary and they'd put about 250 Haitians in it. And uh, in the mix was kids. And those little old Haitian kids would get wound up like our kids do in the middle of the service. And there'd be two men standing on the back row with a really long stick. <laughs> and they reach out and touch them from a distance, almost as if God did so from heaven. <laughs> they would just be a whack upside the head. And they'd hush and sit still. Those guys were harsh and they were stern. They were schoolmasters. And they were trying to direct them boys to pay attention. Listen and look. The law is harsh and stern, but it should make us look for Christ. Amen. Look for the Redeemer. Look for somebody that can get me out of this stuff that I'm in. Amen. And that's the picture that we have when we see this, this idea of the, the postlude of the law that he goes on to say that for you all, uh, after faith has come, we're no longer in the schoolmaster. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many as of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's no bond nor free, neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And that tells us that after faith has arrived, we are now the children of God. We're no longer the children of Satan. We could say, I'm Abraham's seed. I'm the son of God. I am a child of God. We, we're part of the body of Christ. We, we are uh, one of another. We're connected. We're, we're not alone. We're not exposed. We're not, we're not in danger. We're plugged in. We are... 
we are part of uh, the spiritual seed of Abraham. We're, we're now uh, heirs of his covenant. The Bible says heirs and joint heirs with Christ when faith comes. Once faith arrives, we're free from the penalty of the law. We are at once in Christ, and in Christ we're now the sons of gods. And if sons, then heirs and joint heirs. And we can lay aside divisions and distractions of the old man. We can enjoy the life of the new man, united with the body of Christ, fulfilling our purpose as Christ would see fit. What a glorious promise. You wonder if you're keeping up with it. Anybody read, uh, anybody on the reading list, anybody read Fault Lines yet? You wonder why the conservative uh, biblical church is so resistant to all of the social justice. It's because all of the social justice and all of the critical race and all of that critical social, all of that stuff, it is all divisive. And we are a body. That stuff is like a cancer. We are a body. We should not have to teach critical race theory in the church. There is no race. There's no Jew nor Greek. There's no male or female. There's neither bond nor free. We're all one. We're connected in Christ together because of the work of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this night. Thank you, Lord, for your truths. Help us, Lord, as we seek to glean and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior. Father, I pray you'd be with us as we continue our prayer service. In Jesus' name, amen.